Wheels up on episode 211 of Come On You Reds, the Toronto FC podcast. Gareth Wheeler and my main man, Terry Dunfield, with you for another week as we reflect upon MLS Decision Day. Toronto has seen the regular season that was and start looking ahead to the MLS Cup playoffs. And we have a special guest on this week's episode from MLSsoccer.com. You'll love him. He's the armchair analyst. Matthew Doyle is pulling up a seat and hanging out with us two clowns for a few moments a little bit later on. Uh, We're recording this podcast on Wednesday. It's Remembrance Day. Um, We're thankful each and every day to our, we say thanks to our veterans, those in the armed forces for ensuring our freedom, guaranteeing our way of life and you know, making sure that they ultimate uh, that they that they're willing to put their lives on the line, the ultimate sacrifice in order for us um, to 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 have the freedom that we have today. Terry, I know that you've done a lot of work with the troops over the years, whether it's up at the BMO training ground or at BMO Field. Um, today's an important day, but I think that every day that goes by, we're thankful of the sacrifice the, the sacrifices they make. Yeah, very much so. And those that are continuing continuing to do so. And uh, we're so lucky here in Canada. Uh, I, I've met some incredible people, heard some awesome stories. And uh, it's kind of cool how football all brings us together at the BMO training ground. We play a, an 11 aside. It's all heart. It's all action. And uh, we have a nice picture meal at the end. And uh, everyone leaves uh, feeling very thankful. And with support our veterans. Yeah. I just want to remind people, Terry, to support our veterans the way they can donate to the Legion. You know, today we're, we're both proudly wearing our poppies and um, you know, like I said, November 11th, I always make sure that I go, go out. I went out to my local Legion. There was a little bit of a ceremony there downsized obviously because of COVID restrictions, but um, it's always a good time to pay respect to those who have fallen and those who continue to defend uh, our great country and our way of life. So so wanted okay. to get that out of the way off the top. And by the way, the weather outside, I know we're in November. We just celebrated. We'll celebrate. I don't know if that's the right word. It was the one-year anniversary of TFC Seattle, the MLS Cup final. You and I were back out in Seattle. It was a lot cooler than it is right now. This feels like, what, May weather? I think so. <laughs> we're, we're setting records, I saw yesterday on the news, by like eight degrees. Uh, our buddy that golfed with us was in shorts a couple of days ago. It's nuts. Uh what a day that was. That's, that feels like five years ago, that game in Seattle. How long ago does that feel? No kidding. Uh, it brought back a lot of good memories. It it's, did, it's didn't funny. it? You, you reflect upon Yeah, because the entire experience, the traveling Reds were incredible. The fact that TFC made it back to the MLS Cup final. It was a party scene. I met Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam, which was awesome. But the result, like that's what kind of struck me this week, Terry. 3-1, I just don't think that the scoreline reflects the way that the game played out. I, you and I chatted at halftime just a year ago that TFC had Seattle right where they wanted them, an unfortunate own goal of Justin Morrow. Then things go a little bit pear-shaped. Yeah, it was super cool. Our producer Jerome had us up in upper deck where the Seattle uh, operations team had this. the fans, uh, I don't know. They just buried up. us up top, right? Yeah, like we were proper upper deck, and it was cool. We were getting heckled by the fans. It was, it was so much fun uh, doing that hit for the website. And, and, and it's funny what you say, the result you remember, uh, and a little bit the performance, but all I remember is uh, we had them on the ropes. We had them on the ropes for, for 70 minutes, uh, maybe just in that final game, missed that number nine. Potswello was playing as a 
as a, as a false nine. And, and we never really hurt them with all that possession we had. Yeah, uh, Josie came on late, did score a goal, uh, and we're hoping that Altidore is ready to go come MLS Cup playoffs time. Um, he made his return against the Red Bulls. We're going to discuss that game in just a moment. I want to bring up I just something, though. Add, uh, one more thing from uh, Seattle that was really fun, the uh, hotel pod. That was one of my favorite pods that we recorded where we hotel did in the pod. hotel room together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a good time. Good times. Uh, thanks, yeah. Jerome. By the way, Jerome hanging out with us as well. What's up, J-Rome? Killing it as <laughs> always. Um, I wanted to say congratulations. I got an email yesterday, uh, courtesy of Canada Soccer, sending me a list of all these great young aspiring Canadian coaches that have picked up their A license, and I'm going down the list. None other than Terry Dunfield. Now, an A-licensed coach, according to Canada Soccer. Congratulations, and what exactly does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. We, uh, we had such a cool uh, cohort go through the course, um, met tons of great people. It means, I guess in, in North America, we can coach at the highest level now. Uh, Jason DeVos came on to the course halfway through started the his coach education role and, and he completely revamped the course it was incredible uh heard from legends within the canadian game uh bob leonard doozy um nick dasovich he spoke on it john herdman was on it lots of canadian soccer content uh that's where i really reconnected with canada soccer which led to some cool opportunities but uh yeah just just a great course man there was a couple other um, uh, coaches from within the Toronto FC setup that received their A license as well. Congratulations to Caps, the Academy lead, uh, John Mondino as well. Am I missing anyone? I might be. Uh, I'll, we had I'll bring up the list in yeah. case I'm missing someone else's name. <laughs> no, that's right. We had. Uh, it was kind of strange being on the course with my boss, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it was all good. John Mondino and I were rooming together in Vancouver. Uh, top man and if you ever he's such a good he's a good ear man he had to put up with all my demons for a couple days uh last bit of news and it's unfortunate a a great canadian uh head coach the only canadian coach to take this country to a world cup tony waiters passed away uh earlier in this week did you did you know tony very well it's uh, funny i was just gonna say tony waiters uh came and presented on the course and we were talking about the history and legacy of canadian soccer and, and, and what a legend he was spoke about uh, getting the Canadian national team to the World Cup in 86, some of his achievements, where he thinks the game's at, shared some of his insights into coaching. Uh, it, it was so cool. And, uh, you, you know, I'll, I'll cherish those moments. I got a couple pictures with him and uh, just to, to kind of be in his presence and get to know him a little bit. I met Tony a bunch of times. I wouldn't proclaim that I was, you know, that tight with the man, but I think it's incredibly important for us to celebrate Canadian soccer history. I I know that we haven't had this rich history of world cup appearances and, and coming away with major trophies, but still the people that have weaved the fabric to lead us to where we are today, they need to be recognized. Tony was a big part of that. And a lot of what's happening today is courtesy and thanks to people like Tony and the work that they've done. So uh, we'll miss Tony. Uh, The Canadian soccer community celebrates his life. Um, and yeah, he'll certainly be missed. 
Well said. Uh, no easy way to transition, but it was decision day in Major League Soccer. It turned out there wasn't much of a decision to be made for Toronto FC as the Philadelphia Union won their game against New England Revolution. Meant that the Toronto FC result didn't really matter, Terry, in terms of the table. The Union were Supporters Shield winners. TFC, a valiant effort, went two goals down, ended up falling to the New York Red Bulls. 2-1 was the final. Uh, what stands out to you from that game, Terry, in the 2-1 loss on Decision Day? Uh, one, kids change your life. I was over at Chris Posniak's house watching it, former Red, and, and we were going over some coach paint stuff. And he had, he's just had a little son, Dominic, and he was crawling all over me all game. And uh, I had to rewatch the game. But kids, kids are a game changer, man. It was so cool hanging out with Big Dom. So that was my first takeaway. Very when- congratulated for me. I had no idea. I've known Paws for a long time. I used to play against him when he played for no North way. Scarborough growing up. Uh, great guy, great player. Um, sure. So congratulations to him. Yeah, I'll pass that on. So when I rewatched the game, uh, what stood out was my, my first feeling was, I just think we're missing a little bit of firepower. I think in different ways, guys are just feeling the schedule right now, whether it's emotionally and it's, you know, the third time on the back of a bubble in Florida, we're away from our homes. I just feel like the grind of the schedule is catching up with a little bit, little bit with us, the thin squad and, and just the physical um, toll on, on playing so many games away from home, all the travel Um, it just took us some time. It took us a half time to really get going. I thought the energy of Ralph helped. Uh, we conceded a couple of of, of poor goals, which is tough. And and you know what you're coming up against with the Red Bulls. So those were my kind of initial impressions. And, And I thought in the second half, um, we, we started to show the, the true TFC. We've done that in recent weeks against, Columbus against Philadelphia, like really good halftime adjustments and really solid second half performances against Atlanta as well. Like the list goes on and on of that. That's a positive. I want to start off with the negative though. And you mentioned the goals against, I didn't like either one of them because there was ball watching on the far post. And what I've noticed in recent weeks is that little bit of urgency is lacking at the back, that little bit of attention to detail, Terry. Uh, It's not anything structurally that there's a problem. It's just players just need to be on it, be aware of what's going on over their shoulder and understand that when you're inside your own area, when you're in and around your own box, you need to have that next level bit of urgency and take extra caution. It can be frenetic at times, which is fine, but I just need to see that 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 commitment to just keeping the ball out of the, out of the net a little bit more. Yeah, and, and I think that goes to the point of um, what, what what I just sort of said, man. That 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 just the the toll of the season, the emotional and physical that that we're not maybe quite. It's a concentration thing. It's not that the guys can't make the plays and. Uh, we're just maybe a little bit late to react. We're maybe not quite as connected. We're maybe not winning the duels we would a couple of weeks ago. And, and, and that's kind of leading to more problems. It's not one mistake. It's, it's a couple of mistakes that soon become compounded. And, sure. uh, and, and, and I agree with you. That's what we saw in the first goal. And if, if, if we kind of go through it a little bit, it's happened a couple times where we tried to build up a, str- up the strong side, we lose it. It's just a hopeful ball in behind from, 
Tim Parker, and it's a ball Mavinga deals with all day. You, you know, the one that kind of bounces. Yep. And what happened was I thought our, our midfield kind of said, right, Mavinga's going to deal with this. I'll, I'll kind of get into my spot for the throw-in. I'll jog back. I won't kind of maybe run that extra 10 yards in case he doesn't get there. Uh, Barlow, I believe, does quite well. Uh, Mavinga recovers. It kind of bobbles to Michael. Now the team's not connected. Uh, and now we're playing into Red Bull's counter press, which they're so good at. And, and we're not in our spots. Michael tries to find Oso. Uh, that leads to the ball being turned over. New York do well to win a corner. And I thought on the corner kick, it's I think it's hard to be too critical on, on Deleon on the near post. It's just one of those ones that just kind of ricochet off your foot. Nine times out of ten, you deal with it. And now it's it's a tough duel at the back post that – the momentum's going the wrong way. That's such a difficult one to defend. Really, all you can do is get your your body between the player and um and and the between the player, the ball and the goal. Sure. And I think the fact that Barlow's six feet, he kind of like big giraffe, kind of reaches over the top. I, I I understand you as a coach are always looking at the different phases and potential breakdowns yeah. on different areas. When it gets down to it, there are going to be breakdowns. But what I'm not seeing is that awareness on the far post. And this wasn't the only game over the last month, Terry. It's just you got to be able to fight to get back, fall a little bit deeper, and play with a little bit more caution and desperation. And, and that's my only complaint about both goals. Same thing against Inter-Miami last week. Where's that desperation? Where's that commitment just to keep the ball out of the back of the net? That's what I want to see. And the second goal, but you know, the attacker went right past Aro and, and Gonzalez. Two players that are very, um, you know, structurally sound, organized, proper defenders. I, I, I mean, you just get caught ball watching. You switch switch off for just a second. You get you, you get burned. That's what I saw. And I think that echoes what Greg Vanny is saying that at this time of year, with the supporter shield on the line coming into the playoffs, uh, that mindset and and the intensity that comes along with this stage of the year. This is this has to be we've got to raise our game. It goes to another level if we're going to go win the MLS cup. And again, I just think that we're a little bit tired the ball. I think New York do well to play across the pitch to Richie's guy. And, and I think Omar and Auro just, you know, not expecting that knockdown. It's put back into a good space. It's a tough one to watch on the video, New York stick it in and you're now two nil down away from home with a mountain to climb um, and you've also got to hope on a result, hope, it, you know, at that point, I looked to see what the Philly result was, Yeah, which, um, which wasn't great viewing either. No kidding. But you did mention, uh, after halftime, the game changed. Azorio didn't do much wrong. It was good to get him back on for 45 minutes. Good to know that they're just proceeding with caution with 17 days off between and, you know, decision day game and, 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 and your first playoff game. Good to get him 45 minutes. And Ralph Prizo comes to the game and he starts playing between the lines, like, and started to break down the New York Red Bull defensive unit. Like, look, in the first half, the Red Bulls were lucky not to have a couple of players sent off. Like, they were chippy. They were against – it was just pig football. Like, I think they had 12 fouls to five. It was ridiculous. The referee just let them off the hook. But then Prizo started to create some space and play between the lines. You know, the Prizo party, Terry, signed me up for it. Yeah, he, he was excellent. Um, and you talk about bringing it – that little bit of intensity being on the front foot, his energy was, was great. And there's three ways, to, in my opinion, to beat uh, the New York Red Bulls. One is playing through that press when they're not organized and they're not set. 
And, and that led to a great chance for Michael Bradley, where he kept, he was that number that kept going up a line, which all started from Ralph Prezo. The other way is, is going a little bit route one. You could see the New York Red, Red Bulls front five or six are on their front foot, ready to press. Omar just puts a hopeful ball over the top. We've got a 3v2 with their center backs. Io wins a header. Uh, Nick DeLeon has a good shot. Endo picks up a second ball, and then he taps in the rebound. So that's the other way. So you can go over top of it. You can go through it when their press isn't organized and ready. And then the other way, which we saw just at the end of halftime, is really stretching that field out. That's the way the Red Bulls have conceded as well. And just moving that those three blocks or those three lines side to side. TFC did really well to find Arrow on the weak side, and he just misses DeLeon uh, in the six yard box. Let's move from that, Terry, and just focus on the Toronto FC goal specifically, because there's a couple moments that led up to Subasa Endo scoring his first goal of the season. You mentioned it, Io Akinola beating a, a player like Tim Parker in the air to knock down that ball, to create havoc across the back line. I give Io a lot of credit because he's not just a player that can get in behind the back line, but he's a player who uses his body very well, and he's continuing to prove on this game by game. Yeah, we saw it. Was it his goal against Montreal at MLS's back where he won a header and then kind of got in front of somebody? Um, yep. and, and those details uh, are, are really making a difference. And I think he works hard on that. Those at the training ground positioned himself really well, wins that header. And now all of a sudden it's game on. It wasn't the sexiest goal in the world. Omar didn't try to overplay, uh, but he just lifted over top of six New York Red Bull players and, and TFC took advantage of a 3v2. Nick DeLeon was all over it. Honestly, he could have probably had three or four goals on the day. Just his shooting boots were on the wrong foot, but he was heavily involved in the goal. Uh, the rebound was given, and Endo did a nice job following the play as well. Full credit to both those players getting into much more advanced roles than they typically get into. Yeah, it felt like everything dropped to Nick DeLeon, and it, it felt the like entire it was, game. Yeah, it felt like it was uh, it just a little bit behind him or is it was like at the end of a 400 meter run when you've got all lactic acid in your thighs and he was just knackered or it was, he couldn't quite get there, but he got into good spots. I thought endos uh, that was his best performance uh, in recent weeks as well. Deserved his goal. And it was funny when I looked at, looked back at the game objectively to go, you know what? I, th I thought we were probably actually better than what the feeling was having not won and lost the Supporters' Shield, or not that it would have mattered because Philly won, but we had 64% of the game. We had 14 shots to eight, conceded a couple crappy goals. Um, we had 600 passes to their 339. So I think overall, if we tidy things up a little bit with some reinforcements, it, the, the performance actually, in, in particular, the second half was all right. It was pretty good. Now, Jerome asked us a question during the game. He was wondering about teams that press us, like the Red Bulls, like New York City FC, whether Toronto FC has to do anything different come playoff time if you play a team like that. What, what, what do you make of that, Terry? Yeah, we touched on it a little bit earlier, and it was funny. Uh, I got the one of the games I did on TSN this year were the New York Red Bulls uh, against TFC, and I, I started to look at all the goals they conceded, and um, the three ways to kind of beat that press were to really stretch them out. 
but by making the pitch big and now there's gaps to play through. One of the problems with that is one, you don't really have the time because they're, they're pretty aggressive with their press. And then if you do give the ball away a little bit, like what led to the corner on the first goal, you're susceptible to a counter. Um, but that was one way. The other way is when they're not organized to, to play quickly through the press, but you have to be at it. You've got to be fresh and you've got to have ideas, have a picture in your head and be a step ahead. Like we saw in the Bradley chance. And then the other way is route one where their body positions are all facing the ball. You play over top of a couple of lines and now you're coming on to that second ball. And that's how we scored. And I was a bit gutted. I did all this research and we're on the call. Oh, TSN, you've been on these. And then Greg goes, any questions? Anyone want to ask me some questions? And I had all this information and I shit the bed. I was like, no, that's good. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then it all played out. Nice. So it made the, the, me feel the, good. But. When Jerome asked that question to, to me, I'm like, well, I don't think that TFC are going to have to p- worry about playing a team like that in the Eastern conference because the New York teams play Columbus and Orlando respectively. I think that they're playing two teams that are better than them. Look, TFC in their first game is going to play either one of Nashville, uh, Montreal or new England. Not none of those teams play that way, Terry, none of them. So I I think that those, the the high pressing, high energy teams, I, I, I don't think that Toronto FC will face a team like that over the course of this MLS cup run. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a better answer. Not play them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that, that 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 was my simple, probably far yeah. too simplistic answer. Yeah. I, I'm not sure we'll come up against them either. And 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 like Greg said, it's when you when you're just have little gas in the tank and you've been away from home. They're they're the one kind of banana skin um, where you know you have to bring it, and and you don't have a ton of time to train maybe opening up the pitch. Uh, you've only got a couple of set, a couple of days to recover before your next game. You only have certain personnel. You've got new guys coming into the team. So, so it, it is a tricky one. Matt Doyle rules is coming up in, in just a moment. Uh, <laughs> shout out Billy Madison. <laughs> or, oh, Doyle rules. Um, he's coming up in a moment. There's just two other, uh, other things I wanted to bring up. Uh, Azorio and Altador made returns. Altador coming off the bench to play over half an hour. It's just such a boost to this team getting players back, even for limited minutes, Terry, in a game like this and heading into the playoff game. From what I'm told, uh, Delgado, Piatti, I'm missing someone, uh, are all on t- all, all on track to make their make their return. Um you know, that's the advantage of having a couple weeks off between games. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I think too, one of the advantages. Oh, Morrow, Justin Morrow. Sorry. That was the yeah, other one. Being at the top of the table, as you know, um, that, you know, really the, the playoffs are, are the most important once the MLS let the supporters shield was difficult that maybe you didn't need to rush anybody back. And, and, you know, your expected date that they play is the first round of the playoffs and, having this Calvary uh, in the holster ready to come back uh, is great. Knowing that you've got 30 minutes and 45 minutes out of your two key contributors is huge. Uh, and, and I think for Josie, man, that just gives the whole club a lift, the city a lift. And if I'm the opposition and I see him even on the bench in that tunnel, um, you, you know, you look over your shoulder. Yeah. He has a presence. Uh 
the only ne- well the only other negative other than the ball watching on the far post which i already documented was losing richie lorea coming off in the first half looked like a groin injury greg vanny's indicated that it doesn't seem like this is anything serious which is good news and again the benefit of having a couple weeks off despite this ludicrous international break which i absolutely cannot stand um <laughs> Look, whether it's in a starting role or off the bench, he is just such a weapon. He adds a dynamic that very few other players bring to this team. So I think you're holding your breath a little bit if you're Toronto FC on the on the Larea front, as I try to spit that out. Yeah, it's a, that's a tough one. That's a bit of a blow for sure. Groins are horrible because you can kind of play through them a little bit, but you're only playing at 70 70- 75%. As long as you run in a straight line, you can actually play with a little bit of a groin, but you're not really doing yourself any favors. Uh, it's, it's difficult to strike the ball. You start to just adjust your game a little bit and it can kind of trick you. Um, our sports science team, Jim Liston, they've, um, they've got tons of testing and, and ways to kind of see how bad it is. But I remember whenever I had a groin, it, I was able to kind of play through it, but um, especially at this time of year, but it's, it's, it's a horrible niggly one. I remember Jonathan Osorio had one and then ended up having hernia surgery. Uh, it, it's a tough one because players want to play now and it's going to be tough to keep them back. But uh, you've also got to do what's best for the team. Uh, so Toronto FC, the schedule has been announced. They will play one of Nashville, Montreal, New England, like I said, Tuesday, November 24th at 6 p.m. Eastern time, 6 p.m.? I, you know how when Raptors playoff games are unveiled, it's always like the noon game or it's like you're playing at like 9 a.m., 6 yeah. p.m.? What a bizarre time. Yeah. They're getting the Raptors treatment, aren't they? Yeah, I'm not sure. Though. I don't I don't mind it, to be honest. Uh, I mean, <laughs> there's not a lot else going on right now, is there? It was like the 9 yeah, a.m. games at MLS is back. That, that worked nice. Have a coffee and get after it. Yeah, playing at Hartford. Oh, just anyways, uh, Tuesday, November 24th, mark it on your calendar at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Who do you think will be playing? uh, I think it'll be Nashville. Really? So you think Nashville will beat Miami? It'll be an ugly game. They'll keep it tight and we'll play Nashville. Okay. I've not seen a ton of Nashville. I think I'm okay. Dude, they're just defensively solid. This Alistair Johnston kid, this Canadian, yeah. he might end up being Canada's starting right back. He's played that well. What yeah. a pleasant surprise. Walker Zimmerman, just good shape. You know, the, the you know your boy Dax McCarty still playing. Um, I'll have to ask Doyle about Johnston and see what the word on the street from him is, see if he brings it. Yeah, up. we'll do. Time to now welcome in our special guest, special. Terry, how come you never call me special? Because you never let me talk. Oh, that might be good point, buddy. Good point. Uh, he is the armchair analyst on MLSsoccer.com at Matt Doyle, 76 on Twitter. And I'm sure, I'm positive 76 is not the year he was born. Oh. It's Matt Doyle from MLS. That is the year I was born. Yeah. Oh, darn. I thought yeah. it was your favorite number. Maybe you wore it in football or in hockey or something no, like that. No, no, no. I just dated myself, didn't I? Yeah. I'm a. I'm a I'm an old man, so here, here we are, boys, being old men together talking about soccer. My wife says that all men get better with age. 
So I think she's liking me more by the day, which is a, which is actually a good thing. I think she's lying to you, buddy. <laughs> That's not what I'm experiencing. So. I completely agree. I'm like, don't tell that to my knee, my shoulder, right. just every, right. all the aches and pains on a daily basis. Uh, thanks for joining us, pal. It's been quite an unusual season for a lot of different reasons. Um, how do things go from your vantage point at MLS soccer? I mean, I'm for one, I'm thankful that the regular season's done that we can kind of turn our attention just because it seemed like the season that wouldn't end. Yeah. I, I, I had a similar experience and it, and it was, you know, we had this three, four month or three month stretch where there were no games. And then starting in, in what was it early July it was just all the games like every single day. And it was just, it just kept hammering when you get done with the tournament and then it all starts up again and you have a full slate Saturday and then two more Sunday and then a full slate Wednesday. There were occasional Tuesday and Thursday games. So it was, you know, usually there's a rhythm to the season and you kind of fall into it by like mid April. There was never any of that. And, and really since, early August, it's just been a scramble for us just to, I mean, my job is to watch as much of the league as possible, as many games as possible. Like I, it's, it, and I, like I carved out a lot of time to do that, but it was impossible to watch everyone every weekend this year. It just, it just was. And so with a lot of times you're flying blind, especially because on top of having this arrhythmic season, like managers went further down their benches than ever before tried different. We had, you know, managerial turnover before the season. And then during the season, it it was impossible to get a feel for what was happening throughout the year outside of maybe a half dozen teams. And thankfully, honestly, from my perspective, Seattle and Toronto are still Seattle and Toronto. So that kind of made my job a little bit easier. No kidding. That these two teams who are there every year, we're there again this year in spite of everything. I, I'm, I'm with you on the consistency factor, um, not just in terms of performance, but the, the day in, day out, you know, which team was suffering, you know, schedule was going to have to be juggled around. When was the season going to end? I think that things were that much more difficult for the, the Canadian teams because you played sure. in this Canadian mini tournament. Then you went on to league play. So look, I, I, I completely celebrate that the game was played, that we did get games, that we did have a complete regular season. Unlike, you know, France and the Netherlands had to cut their season short. I think that MLS deserves a whole lot of credit, but just from someone that watches it on a daily basis, it's very hard to come away with any over-the-top conclusions about what this meant and what these teams are all about. And that kind of leads into my my next question. I'm not sure if the standard was up to what we've seen in, 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 in other years across Major League Soccer for all the aforementioned reasons. Is that how you're kind of looking at this season, that we're lacking a lot of the greats? There's a lot of good across this league, but mm-hmm. really those truly special teams or special players or special performances didn't really come to the forefront this campaign. I, I think we had elements of that, but it certainly didn't happen with the same consistency that it had over the past three years, especially. And I mean, part of that is Zlatan left, Joseph got hurt, Vela got hurt like that's those are arguably the three best players of the past couple of years and when you have that Ignacio Piatti leaving as well like so it it was a transitional season in a lot of ways that was just amplified by the the conditions of 2020 that we all had to deal with around the world I think the silver lining from that is that we've seen more young players 
um, whether it's through the super draft, like Daryl DK or uh, Henry Kessler or Alistair Johnston down in, in Nashville, um, getting chances or obviously Academy kids. And the big yeah. one was Brendan Aronson, who got sold for $9 million to a Champions League team. But you guys know very well what happened in Toronto this year with not just Io Akinola exploding onto the scene, but also uh, uh, Jaden Nelson starting to get minutes and the, the young central oh, midfielder. Yeah, him getting minutes at the end of the season as well. So I think that while, it, it again, it had this really arrhythmic sense 2020 did, I think it's ending up putting the league in a better place because we have coaches now who are, are more trusting of young players and are more invested in developing them into the type of guys who can be difference makers so that if you lose a Michael Bradley, you, you have that guy who can step in. Um, if you lose a Josie Altidore, obviously you have a guy who can step in. And that's what MLS needs to be because we're not a top five league in the world. If it, team in this league loses their best player you can't go out onto the market and spend 20 million dollars and, and replace that guy it just doesn't happen like that in mls so you have to be committed to building that pipeline from within and 2020 to me felt like a big step forward in that regard Bingo. Matt, would, would that make sense if i said um that if one of your big players you're gonna miss your big players regardless yeah. and and i think we felt that here a little bit at, at tfc but the players that do come in if you're building towards something, then it's okay. Whereas in previous years, maybe the peripheral players or the players at the back end of your squad uh, are there to do a job, but there's not a ton of longevity with, with these players. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that has always been the case and that transient nature of the job for the players, I think has actually kind of lowered the ceiling of what a lot of players, specifically domestic players can achieve in this league. Because one year you're playing in New England and the next year maybe playing in Columbus and the next maybe you're playing in USL and then just scrapping to get back. So by having um, the, the, not just the academy pipeline, but a pretty robust USL pipeline now, um, mm -hmm. I think it's made the back end of those rosters for the teams that are smart, they're able to cope. And not just cope, but they're maybe able to unearth a star in the process. It's, it's not happening all over the, the league. We see what happened with Cincinnati and Houston and, and even the galaxy who started all of this a year or two before everybody else did the galaxy still haven't figured out how to master step one with all this right. stuff. So it's not a guarantee if you make the investment that you'll, you'll reap the rewards. But um, I feel like as a whole, the league is, is moving in the right direction. And that includes, sort of stability and overall club vision for how you want to play and what that means on the field and what that means, obviously for the number one guy on the roster, but also for number 25. Uh, let's get your outside opinion. And we need this because Terry and I are in that Toronto FC bubble uh, on a regular, but how successful was Toronto FC season for you? I mean, they played largely without Michael Bradley. Josie Altador was out for long stretches as well. Yet this team somehow, some way managed to finish second place in the East. How do you rate their season? I think it's probably a nine out of 10. I, I think if you had offered, if you had offered Toronto fans and maybe even the, the front office second place overall um, and Pozuelo is better maybe even than, than you expected when you, you paid all that money for him a year and a half ago. And uh, oh, by the way, you, you find a couple of, of young 
contributors, Io being the obvious one, but a, a couple others as well. You know, Richie Larea leveling yeah. up. Um, I think it's a nine out of ten. I'm sure there's disappointment for in terms of uh, not getting that supporter shield, which I know they fought hard for. Um, I think that the fact that they were able to be in that position despite all the injuries and despite playing in Hartford for three months, <laughs> you know, that's not home. Um, I, I like it impressed the hell out of me what they did. Um, and I think that anyone, and I know they didn't play great over the past month and a half, but anyone who's writing them off uh, before the playoffs is just being stupid. <laughs> just yeah. being absolutely stupid. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it sounds ridiculous, but you know, you, the way that you look at this team has to be through a different lens than previous years, because mm-hmm. in other years, Matt, like with players like Javinko and Altador and Vasquez and, and so much attacking talent, they oftentimes play teams off the field this season. They're doing it in a different way. Uh, do you give all the credit to the head coach, Greg Vanny? Is it the composition of the team? What are you looking at here about how they've been able to transition and play a little bit of a different style? It's a, I mean, I know Vanny's wanted to go with a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1 for, for years, and they were trying to sort of build towards that. Um, so I, I, I would argue that maybe this team is destined to still be more effective with a two-forward setup because I would like to see Josie Altador and Iowa Canola at least for 35 minutes a game, and I think that could be um, very interesting and perhaps devastating for the playoffs. But, Van, I mean, Vanny's done this six straight years now. He, he's got yeah. – you know, he, he's gotten a ton out of this team and everybody will point to, to 2018 as like, oh, they failed to like, they made the CCL final and everybody got hurt along the way. Anyway, like he's such, he's obviously a very, very good coach. I think obviously they have done well to build roster depth from various player acquisition mechanisms. I, I question um, a couple of their top end signings. I don't think Pablo Piatto's a, Piatti's a DP caliber player. I thought the, I thought the long-term contract for Josie was very optimistic um, be, just because of his lack of fitness. Uh, but so to, to get this team back towards the top yet again, in spite of those handicaps, he, he's just, he's an impressive coach. And I, I think Toronto's going to have a, a fight on their hands to hold on to him this off season because he does have LA galaxy roots and they need an impressive coach. So. No kidding. Um, and, and look, whenever a coach is out of contract, you, you know, they have that same issue in Seattle right now. Um, you know, what's the future there? Uh, it's a great bargaining chip when you have a very good team and you continue to do so on, on a, on a regular basis. So what, what is that outside perspective? I mean, in the American market specifically of this Toronto FC team, you said it, you'd be foolish to rule them out, but do you think that people are looking at them in a different way heading into the MLS cup playoffs? Well, there, there is a bit of a, the unknown because, um, because he, like Josie's fitness, it, it, and he's always been so good for Toronto in the playoffs. Um, and, and you don't know if he's going to be that guy anymore. He's 31. Now he's been carrying injuries basically his entire career. And um, you know, are you going to get, are you going to get that every game from him? So I think that's one Two is Michael Bradley's lost a step and a half. And this team, I would argue looked better defensively um, when it was Delgado and Osorio in central midfield than it was Michael Bradley uh, back playing as that number six. And like, if you can find space in the midfield against anybody, you, you can, you can cause some, cause some harm. 
Um, so they have to figure that out, get the right pairing in there. And I think because there are all these questions, um, maybe people are sleeping on them a little bit, but I also think it's just fatigue. People don't want to see Toronto versus Seattle again in MLS Cup. <laughs> yeah. for, for my money, as good as Philly are, Toronto's the favorite in the East. As good wow. as LAFC and Portland and Sporting are, Seattle's the favorite in the West. And I'm not going to believe otherwise until somebody shows me that I should think otherwise. Matt, I I, I agree with Josie. I, I get the, the little bit of staleness. I'd, I'd argue the Bradley point a little bit in that um, he came back from the first injury, probably better than expected, was great for five or six games, picked up another injury. And coming back from that second injury, it's just taken him a game or two with a ton of spotlight on him to get back to that level. He's now got almost two weeks for that first playoff game. Uh, not wanting or, or questioning Michael Bradley on the back of two weeks to get ready for that playoff game, what he's done in the past. Um, I'd say that's a tough, like I want him in my team any day. I mean, we will get to find out because I imagine that he will be in there from the first whistle. Uh, and there is going to be a different kind of pressure. Michael Bradley's had pressure his entire career. Um, he's had it in particular, as you guys well know, in Toronto. Um, it's a different kind of pressure now, though, because while, while you're right, it, it's, you have to give him leeway from coming back from an injury. He's 33. He's played 50,000, 60,000 minutes in his career. Everybody wears down at that age. And, you know, we, we saw it with Jermaine Jones a couple years ago. He went from being one of the best central midfielders in the league to being a liability every time he stepped on the pitch. Um, we saw it with Pablo Mastroeni at the end of his career. We'll probably see it with Ozzy Alonso, Diego Chara sooner or later. Uh, I, you know, maybe Michael Bradley holds that off another year, or maybe we saw it happen the past three games. Yeah. And it's going to be the story to play. Well, whatever we I see, I just, we'll just one sec. He, yeah, he's, ahead, got, he's built enough credit for a short playoff run to, mm -hmm. to steer this team through it. I, I, I agree with you. I think there's tons of light at the end of the tunnel seeing Marquee and Osorio play together. I, I think that will be the future, but, but this year I'm, I'm super comfortable with Michael coming back to the team. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to, to seeing what happens. And I think that, I mean, they're getting through round one regardless, or they should anyway. But mm -hmm. once they get up against maybe a Columbus team or NYCFC or a Philly, that's going to be the real test. And that I think that'll be the story of the playoffs for Toronto. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to add to that. Also, what we haven't seen Michael since his return, we haven't seen him play with Delgado or Azorio. All three of them fit. And it's almost like that puzzle that comes together. The fact that Delgado does so much running and Azorio takes some responsibility being on the ball. I think those three together are the combination. And I just look at this time of the year, Matt, especially with this team. And you know what? Over the next few years, there's going to be a transition to younger players, maybe a little bit different of a profile. But you got to go with your tried, tested, and true this time of year, especially in a season like this, right? Like, I, I just cannot see a midfield that wouldn't include those three players going forward into the MLS Cup playoffs. So, so then what do you do with Pozuelo? Do, I was just thinking you, that. <laughs> yeah, you put – so to me, if you're going to have – if you have to have those three on the field, and I agree you probably do, do you put Osorio as an inverted left winger and leave yep. Pozuelo as the 10? Yeah, I think I, so. That's what I'd do. Mark is going to do a lot of running, isn't he? 
He is. He is. He's no stranger to it, right? It's true. It's true. <laughs> He's oftentimes a divisive player. I don't get it because, you know, even when Seba and Josie were doing their thing, like those players provided the platform. So the other thing you can do play, right? is, is you could play also on the right, which allows Richie to really get forward as well, invert mm-hmm. him on the right and sure. move Caddy over to the left if he's fit. Right. A lot of options. Uh, so I don't know if you'll agree with this statement, Matt, but for me, four of the best five teams in Major League Soccer all come from the Eastern Conference. I, I think it's Philly, obviously, mm-hmm. TFC, Columbus, and Orlando. And then I include Seattle in that top five. Would you agree with that sentiment? Mm, I don't think so. I don't think I'm quite there on Columbus. I, I really? What, yeah, I don't think their top-end talent is um, at the level it needs to be. I, I love Jossie Zardes, but he's like Jossie Zardes versus Raul Ruiz Diaz versus Josie, you know, Josie's fit versus, uh, you know, the, like, I, I think, I think that, you need your DPs to be really, really good to win in the playoffs. And I'm not sure that Columbus's DPs, and they just haven't played well for a couple months now. Like they gutted out a win against Philly two weeks ago, but Philly should have won that game 5-1. Their keeper had a blinder, the Eloy Room. Um, I, I think I would probably take, even, even without Nijgada and, and Blanco, I think I would probably take Portland over, over Columbus, maybe not over Orlando. Um, and then the, look, the, the terrifying dark horse in all of this is LAFC because we haven't seen a fit LAFC all year long. Well, they have Atuesta back. They have Mark Anthony K back. They have Blessing in that midfield. So it's that midfield trio. They have Carlos Vela back and healthy now. Rossi won the golden boot. And the, the you know, they did just finally add that central back, uh, center back, Murillo from Colombia, who's been very good. Uh, but the real thing is they have Bradley Wright Phillips as a center forward now and he's 35 but he does not look it he has not looked it this year and if you have a center forward who is that smart and that predatory in the box um alongside carlos vela and and diego rossi like that lafc people are sleeping on lafc um and they shouldn't be and i think that first game they, they have seattle they're going up the century link to play seattle that could be a bloodbath in either direction. That's the sexiest game. That's the oh, sexiest yeah. game oh, yeah. of the bunch. And I think LAFC beat Seattle 4-1 at MLS's back. Yep. There's obviously the history of losing in the Western Conference final of last year. I- I'm with you on all those points. That's a game to watch. And that's why moving forward through the Western Conference, Seattle, you know, bet wisely if you're going to, you know, put all in all your chips with the Sounders this year. But I'm just not sure if they can defend enough, honestly. Yeah. Terry Dunfield and I would be an upgrade across their back line. I'm sure about that, Matt. <laughs> Wait, are you talking with Seattle or, or LAFC? No, LAFC. Yeah. And maybe Terry could play center back for Seattle Sounders too. So, you know, Bob Bradley, I think, is a brilliant coach. And I think he overthought last winter's transfer window. Because getting rid of Walker Zimmerman for even they, they got 1.1 million allocation cash, that's not enough for Walker Zimmerman in this league. If you have in his prime best 11 caliber center back, you hold on to him for yeah. dear life. And a lot of the problems that they had defensively throughout this year was trying to fill that hole. And they finally did fill it about a month ago. They got the guy, uh, Jesus Murillo, in from, from Colombia, and he's been really good. So I think between him and Segura in central defense, between Palacios at left back, the young Ecuadorian who has uh, really come up the last six months, uh, 
they have three or four answers. Right back is still an issue. Maybe Terry should lace him up and see if, if, Brad, if Bob is willing <laughs> to, to throw him a couple of bucks just for a quick playoff. Yeah, that'd be a fun midfield to play, and you wouldn't I wouldn't have to do any running. Mm, <laughs> for sure. Or I'd have to try to keep up with them. Uh, I like what you say about, about uh, BWP. It, it's cool. Uh, he's an awesome story to see him doing so well. And uh, I, I think when you – I don't know if he would be as successful in many other teams. I think he's just a great fit in LA. Uh, I'm buddies, good friends with John Thorington. Hopefully he doesn't listen to this. I'd, I'd probably side to the Seattle. Uh, I, ju- I just think that they're um, very efficient and uh, they'll pick their moments. They won't give up a whole bunch and, and that equals success in, in playoff football. Yeah. And they have guys like, Ladero, Rui Diaz, and Jordan Morris, who have done it repeatedly. Yeah, they can hurt you for sure. It's tough to it's tough to pick against that. <laughs> but but I, I I mean it's a great guy. LA. I mean I don't think any anyone wants to play him. Uh, I I think on their day, uh, maybe they have the highest ceiling in the league. Yeah, yeah I'm with you on that. They're Matt, fun we just to have watch a couple. Too. We just have a couple couple moments left. Um, despite the fact there are way too many teams in the MLS Cup playoffs, yeah. when 69 percent of the teams make it in. Nice. Just devalues like the 10 month nice. regular season we went through. Um, is there an under the radar playoff team that, that you have your eyes on other than LAFC that our listeners might want to, you yeah. know, kind of put a tick next to their name? NYCFC. Um, and it's weird that the, the teams in LA and New York are somehow under the radar. It's like the opposite of what happened <laughs> every other sport. Uh, you know, and NYCFC have had a couple of big injuries this year. They, they sold a DP in midseason and didn't replace them. Um, they, you know, have had to play at multiple stadiums because Yankee Stadium wasn't available to them for, for half the season. And their best player, Max Morales, is 34 years old. And for most of the year, he looked 34 years old. Um, and then down the stretch, he didn't. Down the stretch, all of a sudden, he had he came back from the injury and he was moving like he did last year when he was best 11. And with him and Alex Ring and Keaton Parks in central midfield, that is arguably the best central midfield in the league. And then they have in Tinner Home and Matarita. Um, I think Tinner Home's the best right back in the league. Matarita's one of them, top three or four left back in the league, unless he's making slide tackles in the playoffs, in which case you don't want him on your team. <laughs> um, but between those five guys, really, everything flows through them and they get on the ball. And they can just rip you apart. And then suddenly it doesn't matter that they're literally playing backups at center forward, left wing, and right wing because everybody else is hurt or sold. Um, but it, it almost doesn't matter because those five guys are so good. So if they start to get into a rhythm, uh, then whoever it's facing, Orlando City in round one, Orlando could get in big trouble real quick. The issue, though, with NYCFC is once you get past that first 11 or maybe 12 guys that they have, they have zero depth. They, they, so they need everybody to stay healthy and stay fresh and stay clicking throughout the duration uh, of these playoffs. If they do it, they are a very dangerous team. Matt, it sounds like you've watched lots of soccer, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, their only, their, their kryptonite, however, Callens and Cheneau just have nightmares whenever they have to play Toronto FC. Honestly, if that's a matchup, those two center backs hate playing TFC. And Sean Johnson, like if he has to face Pozuelo one more time in the playoffs, (laughs) I mean, are you kidding me? So I quite, this is where I question New York city. I don't know if you agree, Matt is 
when it's all going well, they're beautiful to watch. There's they a are. nice balance to the team. They can hurt you a ton of ways. When adversity hits, I, I don't know whether they, they kind of – there's some personalities in that changing room. It, there are personalities from all over the world, whether they actually galvanize and find a solution or whether they kind of go into their own corner and, and there's a little bit of frailness. There's a bit of sulkiness to that team. I, I don't disagree with that. I, I think that um, if you're able to, to, you know, land one on their jaw, they might self-destruct. Um, yeah. And we saw that last year in the playoffs and we saw that the year before in the playoffs and we've seen that repeatedly in the playoffs. And maybe that'll be the story of this era for NYC, NYCFC, no matter who the coach is. Um, but on talent, that's not a team I would want to play. Uh, let's end on this, Matt. There's been plenty of standout performers this MLS season. Diego Rossi's wonderful. Terry and I both like Pereira, a Pereira down in Orlando. But it seems like Alejandro Pozuelo is the favorite to come away with the MVP award. Uh, is he your MVP? Where, where do you stand on this debate or this argument? Yeah, he's he's my MVP, and um, it's it's a combination of, of just box score productivity when when this team needed goals and assists he he got them goals and assists um unless he was screwing around with penalties against montreal um <laughs> he in terms of in, in terms of uh defense alejandro pazuelo is not a, a valderrama style number 10 who just sits back and does nothing no he's not the best defensive attacking midfielder in the league but he works he, he works really hard for his team uh and that sets a tone when your best player is working like that. And then the other thing is it, in, you know, usage rate in terms of just how much of the game flows through him. It's Pozuelo and Ladero are the two at the top for their respective teams. Um, and nobody else is actually that close. And when you have your best players who are not only difference makers in the final third and not only working hard defensively, um, but want the ball in the toughest spots on the field every single time and do the work to get it. That's an MVP. That's like, that's the definition of value. Um, so yeah, Pazuelo got my vote and I think he's going to win. Terry, you're on board with that. I like what Matt said. And, and it kind of goes with my thinking that I think Pottswell surprised a few this year, uh, myself included. I, I, I didn't think he could get to this level. I think the change in system from Greg Vanny's helped him where uh, he's found a role that he can kind of do enough defensively. And, and that kind of springboards uh, a real looseness to where he positions himself on the field. And then the team kind of move around him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, man, he, he, I, he's got so much quality. Uh, I think he needs a fresh team and runners around him. Um, sure. and, and that'll affect his performances, but man, it's, uh, it, it's one of our, it's, it's so cool to see him, um, to, to just watch him play. He's, he's, uh, as, as Matt said, just, just brings so much value to the team and the league. Makes the game. Good look stuff. Easy. Yeah. yeah, no kidding. Uh, good stuff, Matt. I appreciate all the work that you do on the regular, not just for joining us on the podcast. Man, you have a tough job because I'm sure that there's people at clubs across MLS soccer who are in your ear all the time texting you, <laughs> calling you, saying, how can you say that about my team or my player? How often do you get messages like that? Uh, do you flush them? No, no, I, I, I always respond, um, sometimes with less patience than I maybe should. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been, I've gotten fewer of those this year, 
um, because I think everybody else has just been scrambling so hard to keep the ship afloat. Um, so maybe there's some sort of detente between me and, and uh, the front office and, and head coaching types. But it's uh, I do actually always like it when I hear from folks like that because it's nice to know they're reading my work. So bingo. Uh, instead of calling it an armchair, you should call it a throne, buddy, because you're the king of MLSsoccer.com. <laughs> like there you go. I like that. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. He is uh, Matt Doyle. Follow him at Matt Doyle 76 on Twitter. Read his regular armchair analyst column. It's a must read on MLSsoccer.com. Enjoy a couple weeks off, I guess, in the buildup to the MLS Cup playoffs, then the frantic nature that will be that run to December 12th. Thank Ooh. you, Matt. Thanks, guys. Good stuff with Matt Doyle. Uh, again, at Matt Doyle 76 on Twitter. His vote is for Pozuelo for MVP. Is that where your vote is going, Terry? It's already gone. I didn't get a vote this year. Like, they send out an email. I get a vote every year for whatever reason. No vote this year. Complete disrespect to the Wheeler agenda. <laughs> Have they been listening to our pod? Have they listened to our pod? I don't, again? I don't, it doesn't bother. I don't need to vote. Whatever. People know what I think, anyways. So, <laughs> whatever. You just threw a pen down. The MV Pazuelo yeah. uh, lives on. So, <laughs> yeah. Nice backup, Jerome. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, pal. Uh, the one thing I will c- contest, contest? Yeah. I will contest with Pazuelo's season. Uh, I saw the stat thrown out there that he's the first player in Toronto FC history to play in every game. Well, there's 23 games. Like, there's a big difference between 23 and 34. You know what I mean? Like, hey, I'm all about Putzuela for MVP, an impressive campaign. I agree with all the reasons that Matt already stated. But this whole idea that the 23 games he started and played every game equals 30, you know, a 34 game, it's not... It's different, I remember, right? I remember when I was in Vancouver. One of Am my I wrong on that? No, I just right. look at that stat. I'm like, it, what? Like all the stats this season, nothing equates to a regular season any other year. Nothing. Remember, There's no comparison. I remember my first year in Vancouver. I was on a bonus where I had to play the third most minutes of everybody in the season, and playing from Vancouver to travel everywhere, dude. That was that's a tough circuit. And the last couple of games, my body was hanging in there. Yeah. <laughs> and I, was, I, I had to do what I could to stay out there, man. Right. Um, I hope that I can still be the captain of the MV Pozuelo campaign, Jerome, I with uh, throw, throwing some shade right there about that record. I just, you know, I keep it real. I got to keep it real. You okay it's with that, Jerome? That you keep, it's a fact that you keep it real that keeps you the captain. Thank you. Thank you. That's that's a producer right there. That's my boy, Jerome. Uh, let's get I, into I, this I week. Love, I love that we're huh? on YouTube now because we get to see Terry's reactions to our <laughs> us going to, us your love, to your horrible cringe love fest. Oh, by, by the way, you, you grew back the velo like oh, nice. on your lip All and right. your chin. Just deflect what you just said about my chin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's get to this week's high five. Let's do the, it. Top five stories coming from Toronto FC season. Okay. Uh, I'm going to run through mine and then you can share a comment. Okay. How does that sound? Beautiful. Uh, number five, Captain Oso. I thought Jonathan Azorio seamlessly took the captain's armband when Michael Bradley was out of the team and he looked and felt like a captain. This is a future captain of Toronto FC. Whenever Michael Bradley steps away, Oso is going to be here for the long haul. Didn't it suit him? Like, I just thought that sometimes you see certain players with the captain's armband. You're like, oh, that's a little bit odd. I just thought that Oso was a natural, and he's kind of grown into that role. So good on him. 
Yeah, well said. Uh, I thought he, it didn't affect his performance at all. Um, I, I thought he still was the same player on the field. He just led by example. The fact that he's from Toronto is cool. Uh, and I think he's now got enough credit or street cred within that changing room to to have that armband on his arm. I, I also thought Josie did a pretty good job too the first couple of games, even though that was yeah. a shorter uh, spell. I just think that Oso is the future, right? I, I like so, what he said too about uh, when Michael was coming back, that it it gave him an appreciation of what Michael's done in the last four, four and a half years. Absolutely. Years. Uh, the 18-game regular season unbeaten run, tying a record. Um, unfortunately, that came to an end in September uh, against Montreal of all yeah. oh, just oh, one. The, and, and honestly, without that, Doyle brought it up without that, that miss penalty, Pozuelo Piatti noise that could have, you know, TFC um, were on the cusp of sending a, a major league soccer all-time record. Yeah, we were, we were just cruising. We were just ticking over. We were, we were doing our thing. We were playing some, some great stuff. Some of the one-touch football combination play was great. Uh, and I've got written down here in my notes that game and the D.C. game where, where they, they had 10 men at MLS's back and we ended up tying 2-2, having been 2-0 up. With those points uh, going into the last – going into the driver's seat – uh, on the last day of the season, going into decision day, uh, it's completely different. And I think those were the two games where you're just like, oh, come on. Yeah, Th- that's three points right there. Even if you come away with a draw against Montreal in that game, where it was one-way traffic, to be honest. Yeah. And D.C., you're right. Those are two points that you just completely threw away. Uh, next up, what do I have? The Lorea Leap. The fact that he's grown by leaps and bounds even more so this season, that's a top story from Toronto FC season. The fact that now, you know, you look what he did last year, like, okay, let's see you follow that up to show that you are for real. And I don't think there's any argument about that now. I mean, he's a lock. He's a must start. He's a difference maker in this team. Yeah. And you can like talk Canada. He brings some balance with Alfonso Davies on the other side. I think he's another player that's come into the Toronto FC lab that's just developed and got better and better. I still think there's more to come. Uh, he's a little bit unique how how he plays that role, his technique, uh, that little touch drag that he's got is is almost unplayable. Uh, and and he's you know his objective numbers are are great, uh, setting up goals, scoring goals, can play different positions. Uh, and probably the best part about it all is he's just such a cool dude. He's just, uh, he's just running with it. Nothing's going to his head. Uh, maybe, maybe there's still time for him to get to Europe. At uh, number two, IO's emergence. Akinola went from a depth player into the joint leading score in the season with nine goals and looks to be very much the real deal as well. IO's emergence at number two. Yeah. Great one. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I kind of had him in the Freddie Adu bucket for a little while where he was the next best thing coming out of the U.S. youth national teams. Uh, Lots of talk about him. We didn't see him a ton in the training ground. Went up to the first team. Couldn't really make the jump. Was playing out wide. Uh, Greg and the coaching staff took him under their arm. I think Josie did a little bit. And he started to buy in 
to the process. And once he started to do that with his skill set, a little bit of confidence in a very good team, he's just skyrocketed. And uh, I have no doubt he'll be playing in one of the top five leagues in the world. And at number one, it was my biggest question heading into the season. And I think that he answered the question and answered the bell, um, both the coach and the player. But it was all about the Pozuelo position. How, what position Ooh, yeah, was he going to play to get the fire. most out of Toronto FC's best player? And he did so to a, to a, to a, to a point where now he's the favorite to come away with MVP. We didn't know if it was going to be in the middle, if it was going to be on the wing, where it was as a false nine. But I think that playing right underneath as almost that second striker, as more of a number 10 role, that's where you get the most out of the player. And uh, that's where he was played this season. And there's no coincidence whatsoever. Success followed. Let me ask you a question. Um, you nailed it. Uh, if you're the best player on the team um, and and the team and the manager lifts up the team sheet like that. Okay. They'll do it digitally. Now, where, where do you, what position do you want to see yourself playing? Well, d- depends what type of player I am. <laughs> everyone wants, everyone wants to see themselves in that number 10 role in the middle of the field, everything going sure. through. So if you lift up that team sheet and you see yourself way over on the right wing or on the left wing, your initial reaction is just this, right? And, and I think as good as Pottswella was, and he had to play nice with others, to get the best out of him, you need to really build the team around him. And I thought Greg was really clever with it in that he didn't throw the TFC game model out the window. He just found a role for him to be central defensively. And then once we win possession, it's almost like the team kind of moves around Pozuelo a little bit. And and that slight adjustment and, and Greg finding a way uh, to almost satisfy Pozuelo's hungriness to, to play in the middle of the field uh, has, has paid huge dividends. And uh, to play that role, man, you got to produce because you're wide open if you're not producing. Yeah, absolutely. Now, even moving forward for this group beyond this season, give him even more weapons on the wing in attack to continue to bring out the best of Alejandro Pazuelo. And as long as you do that, this team will be on the cusp right in the mix of MLS Cup contention on a year-to-year basis. So that's my five. Captain Oso, 18 games. Lorea Leap, IO Emergence, and Pazuelo position. Uh, very quickly, guys, anything I, I missed? Yeah. All the other Academy kids coming through, Jaden Nelson, Jaquil. Uh, Says the well, Academy coach. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, come on, bro. Now, I only had five. Come on. And we, still, and we still got the playoffs ahead of us. Let's go. Yeah, there uh, you go. Yeah, um, I think uh, small, sentimental. I loved Come On You Reds 200 this season. Having it during the regular <laughs> season was a fun moment. Um, and everything uh, like posted has been really fun. Um, and, and this is uh, definitely more an off the pitch thing, but again, and we've mentioned it so many times before, Justin Morrow, Ali Curtis, and so all the players around the team for Black Players for Change, what they did around that um, was just a great, great story. Um, and all the it, TFC it, content. It, it, the TFC content. <laughs> I, I, I was going to save it for like end of, end of season, but I will say uh, I, I am just super impressed with the team all ac- across the board. You know, the one season where we, had no ability to be around each other physically. I feel like we actually got maybe as much, if not more access than we have had any 
point in the season, whether it's been our interviews on this podcast, whether it's been all the behind the scenes that Greg Learman had been doing while he was down there in the bubble. Um, it's it just, it's really cool. And I even had a chance yesterday um, of this recording. Uh, I was talking to some of the guys on the Waking the Red podcast and they're asking like, how exactly did you, like they, they were just so impressed that we were able to provide TFC fans and supporters so much access to a team in a season where they could ne- not actually be there to cheer mm. them on. So uh, I'm just really proud of all the work. Um, Greg, it's Beerman, not Kyle over Temple Jerome. Tenney. You're jinxing, you're jinxing it. I had my, my gym teacher in grade nine. Well, I, I mean, me, like, you gotta Terry, be a good Terry. starter, but you gotta be a good finisher. Good starter, good Terry, finisher. Terry shouted out the content. So any chance I get to shout out content, I'm going to do it. Okay. Okay. Terry, yeah. the season's not over. Okay. We, we deal with it that isn't. after the season. Um, lastly, last note before we get out of here, it sounds like Toronto FC will be training at home over the next few weeks. Steve Buffery, the Toronto Sun, reporting that uh, there's modified provisions uh, that have been made, uh, exceptions, I should say, that will allow Toronto FC to trade at home, which is Gareth, welcome. I can actually confirm that for you because I reached out to Greg Veerman, who sent me a selfie from BMO Training Grounds today. So they're already there out there go. getting into so training. So Hartford, you know, just, just hold up for a while. We'll be back. But for the meantime, <laughs> the boys are going to be practicing, training, preparing in their own backyard. So Terry Dunfield, his office is going to be shifted at the BMO training ground. He's going to go back to the outhouse uh, so the boys can get back in the penthouse. (laughs) What a jerk. All right, guys. Uh, So we'll take the next week or so off. Once TFC's first round playoff opponent is named the next day, We're going to pod out, give you a complete preview of TSC versus whoever in their first round playoff matchup of the MLS Cup playoffs. That game, again, coming your way November 24th uh, during the supper hour at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Good stuff, Terry. Thanks, Wheels. Good stuff, too, man. Good stuff, Jerome. Thank you, as always. Thanks, pal. And uh, thanks to Matt Doyle, the throne Analyst, not the armchair, the throne. He's on the throne, the king of MLS soccer. He liked joining us on this week that. as pot. Well, anytime you pump the tires, that, that's <laughs> Terry Dunfield of the golf course. I pump the tires and he plays well. As soon as they start, you know, chirping him a little bit, woo! Welcome to the bunker. Um, on behalf of everyone on the TFC content team, I am Gareth Wheeler. This is being come on your reps.